Last Lord's Day, we looked at Psalm 11. It's a psalm in which David responds to the pleading of his friends to flee and to go to Jerusalem or to hide out in the hills. In light of the fact that all of his enemies were out to get him, in light of the fact that all of the traditional foundations of government that were meant to provide protection had been broken down. In fact, you remember the question that was asked in verse 3 of Psalm 11. If the foundations are removed, what shall the righteous do? And David's friends advised him or suggested to him that he as a righteous individual could do nothing. Do nothing. Therefore, he should flee. And you remember David's response that he would not flee because he said that the Lord is his refuge. And he said that because he reminded his friends that God is still on the throne. He's still in control. And in fact, he is still intimately and vitally involved in the lives of every individual wicked or righteous and he rewards them according to their works and he says because of the fact that God is in control and he knows what is going on I find my refuge in him I will not run and we use that as a basis for a challenge for us today because as we look around us in our community today if it's anything we can say for certain is the foundations are being destroyed all of the things that we thought were stable and would stay and would be there for support is now seen to be destroyed, ripped apart, done away with. We believe that is happening in the home. We believe it's happening in the schools. We believe it's happening in the church. The foundations are being destroyed. It seems that the things that we used to depend on, we can depend on no longer. We do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. Just take a look at the United States. Look at what's happening over there. Some of the things that are happening over there, we never thought or imagined that would happen. The foundations are being removed every day, day by day. And it's happening here in the Bahamas. And so... Is our intention for the next few Lord's Days, uh, months ahead, perhaps weeks ahead, is to look at some of these foundations that we believe are being destroyed. And we want to begin today with the foundation of the home. Because we believe as we look around and we listen to what's going, around, going on in the talk shows, we hear our young people, we look at the media, and we see that... The home is not what it used to be, especially the Christian home. I was reading some time ago of a sermon that was presented by um, Charles or Chuck Swindoll. He gave an illustration concerning the well-known, famous football coach, Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers. He was a master at football during his day, and his team was a winning team. But one time they experienced a humiliating defeat by a very inferior team. And it was a team that they thought would never do anything, but they licked him and they licked him bad. 
And so Lombardi said, sent word to the team that he wanted to meet with them early in the morning. Early in the morning. Chuck Swindoll goes on to say, with apprehension, the players gathered in the clubhouse, expecting the dressing down of their careers. And these were professionals, mind you. These are men who spent years in mastering the game of football. Chuck continues, finally the coach appeared and the room felt silent. Lombardi picked up a football and held it up before the room full of professional players. Then he said something like this, gentlemen, this is the football. Remember who he's talking to now? Professional football players. Gentlemen, this is a football. Then going to the blackboard, he drew a large rectangle. He said, this is a football field. At the end of the field is a goal line. When you carry the ball across the goal line, you score six points. Now remember who he's talking to? Professionals. What was he doing? Taking them back to the basics. And I think that is what has happened, especially in the Christian home. And I'm going to be focusing on the Christian home. We have left, forgotten, abandoned the basics of building a Christian home. I know this is true as far as homes in general are concerned. And I'll give you some illustrations of this as we go along. But I want this morning to take us back to the basics. Just about everything I'm going to be telling you today and tonight, because I'm going to divide my message up. I don't have time to finish this morning. You probably have heard before. Especially if you're a Christian, you've been saved some time. You've heard it before. If you've been here at Calvary Bible Church throughout the years, you've heard these teachings before. But yet, the foundations of the Christian home is still being destroyed. Hardly any young person you talk to, today and ask if their parents are having devotions with them will tell you no they'll probably ask what are devotions what are you talking about if you use a phrase like the family altar they wonder what you're talking about you ask most young people today when last they sat down around the table to talk over spiritual things with their parents they laugh overall there's some mind you but not too many why the basics are being forgotten the foundations have been crumbling, and we see it in the lives of our young people today. Why is it, I mentioned this before, but I mentioned again, that some years ago, the principal of a school just down the road had to ask if he would let the children come here so we could tell them the Christmas story. Because they did a research and they said the majority of their people, their young people, do not know the reason for Christmas. They think it's Santa Claus' birthday. Most of them did not even hear the name of Jesus Christ in a school. So let's go back to the basics. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bible. This is the handbook for the home. You build it according to God's specifications, and you'll glorify him, and you have a home that he desires. So biblically and historically speaking, the home was created in the Garden of Eden. The home was not created in a cave by cavemen. 
some group of people around the fire wondering how can I get this woman to do work for me? Or how can I get this man to go out and kill that boar for me? The home was created in the Garden of Eden. It is one of the very first things God did after he created human beings. So it is God's first divinely originated institution. Before the church, before government, before the school. It is therefore a primary institution of God. It is of utmost importance to God. He put it first. But many today don't do that. Not putting the home first. Their job, their career, but not the home. But yet, and all sociologists would attest to this, the home is still the greatest bulwark against corruption and immorality in the world. It still is. However, what sociologists will not agree with, even though we believe it is true, it is that the Bible is the only infallible guide and standard as to what is a home and how it is to be established and maintained for the glory of God. The Bible. You must be aware of this because psychology has taken over so much with church. And we teach so much psychology today as though it's biblical. Everything coming from the Bible. But sociologists do not have a precise definition of what the home is or what it's supposed to accomplish. There's no psychological model for the home. That's right. They do not know exactly what a father is supposed to do or a mother or a child. They do not have an absolute template, model for the home. But the Bible has. The Bible has a template. And God wants us to build that home according to his specifications. You remember when he gave instructions to Moses to build the tabernacle. He said to Moses, paraphrasing, Moses, I'm giving you a copy of the plans of the tabernacle in heaven. There's a tabernacle there. I'm giving you specifications. Because Moses, this tabernacle sets out exactly how I want men to come into my presence. You've got to follow every detail. You have to do it my way, not yours. Now, of course, we've sort of twisted that around today. We want to do things my way, not God's. And in effect, God said to Moses, Moses, if I say use a brass nail, I don't want you to use a copper. If you get one thing wrong, Moses, the whole design is wrong. Be careful to follow the instructions. That's what we have failed to do today. And that's why I believe the foundations of the Christian homes are tumbling, being destroyed. Let me give you a working proposition, or what I call a basic biblical principle for the home. It is this. A home to be Christian. And again, I underline that fact. A home to be Christian must be built according to the divine blueprint. I believe we have a basis for that in Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house or the home, they labor in vain who build. That's the word of God there. 
they labor in vain, the result would be fruitless, without profit. That's the meaning of the word vain, of no use. You say, but look what I'm providing for my family. Look at this great big house I have here. I have a bathroom in every bedroom for my children. Not only that, I have a playroom with a 54-inch TV. I've got a tennis court outside. That's not the kind of home he's talking about here. He's talking about a home that is built by God on spiritual principle. Now, I'm not saying those things are wrong, mind you, although in some cases they could be. depends on how you get it. But I'm not saying that those things are necessarily wrong. I'm saying here, God lays down a principle. If we are going to build a home that is profitable, then we must build it according to the divine blueprints. We must be sure that we can say the Lord is building this home. Now, let's look at some of the specifications he gives for building a Christian home. First of all, this book, this handbook of the home, says that the foundation of a Christian home must meet divine specifications. The stones of the foundation, the stones of the foundation must meet divine specification. First, the stones of a Christian home, the foundation of the home, must be one male and one female. Genesis 1.27 God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice, Male and female, he created them in his own image to show what he is like. Listen carefully. We're going to develop this more fully later on. The basic purpose for marriage is to show what God is like as a triune God. To reflect his image. And we're going to see that is true in every area of the Christian life. If it is done according to the specification, it reflects the relationship of the triune God. In Genesis 2, So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. When the context is a woman and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When followed, when this when this specification is followed, two major distortions of marriage are eliminated. One, polygamous marriages is done away with immediately. It's one man and it's one woman. So when we follow the specifications for God, of God to build a true Christian home, we have to know 
that it has to do with one man, one woman. Not one man or one woman and many men and many women. One man, one woman. Polygamous marriages are done away with. There can never be such a thing as a Christian home when you have a man with several wives or vice versa. But it also eliminates the distortion of what I call to be nice unisex marriages. In other words, look at the text. The marriage is between a male and a female, a woman and a man. If these specifications are followed, there will be no such thing as a gay marriage with another gay or a homosexual marriage. According to this specification here, you cannot have a Christian home if it only has a male and a male or a female and a female as the head of the home. That is clear. If you follow the specifications, you see, this is what I mean when I say that the foundations are being destroyed. Because now churches, churches that claim to be the body of Jesus Christ, have ordained ministers who are gay to marry other gay people. And they call it Christian. The foundations are being removed and gradually and I'll show you as we go along in the Bahamas how some of the laws that we are trying and have already introduced have started to break down the foundation not only of the home but of the marriage government is creeping more and more into telling you what you do with your children than ever before the foundations are being destroyed we have to see how important it is for us to rebuild or to protect these foundations. But secondly, not only must there be male and female, these foundational stones of a Christian home, they must be living stones. First Peter 2.5 says this, you also, talking to believers, and I'm speaking to believers now, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now when I say living stones, I mean that both partners must be genuine Christians. They must be living stones. They must have the Spirit of God within them. Speaking about a Christian home now, and that's only as a minimum. Because even some Christians shouldn't marry them another Christian, depending on their level of spirituality, depending on their commitment to Christ. I know many marriages have been destroyed and many ministries have been destroyed because two Christians have been unweekly yoked, because the commitment to God was not the same. But we'll talk about that later on as well. Both partners must be genuine Christians as a minimum. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? 
It's a false god, an idol. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Of course, these are what we call rhetorical questions. The answer to all of them, no, nothing. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Notice, living stones. Why are we living stones? Because we are the temple of the living God. Let me give some advice and counsel to young people at this point. To singles. Especially single ladies who are reaching 40. Well, I won't give it advice. Single men who are reaching 23. You know, they already think they... Watch out how and who you date. Watch out how and who you date. Because of these kinds of alliances, relationships that could lead to marriage. And if you cannot look at a young man, a young woman right now with respect and adoration and trust and confidence, Jedi, well, you know, we're young, we're just doing these things and not us, or if we go date for a while. Danger. Danger. I can say this. Pastor Arnold could tell me if I'm wrong. You see, you're always right. I believe that just about every young man who's not a Christian, and many who are, that the first things they have on their mind when they want to date a girl is to have sex with them, without marriage. Not sex within marriage, but sex without marriage. They see that young lady as a target. They want to score. That's the word they used to use. I don't know if they use it anymore. That's it. And they'll do any and everything to score. Young ladies, you have to watch out who you date. This whole idea of dating today anyway, you all better re-examine. And let me tell you why. I mentioned it last week, I mentioned again. I heard three young ladies on a talk show the other day, teenagers, saying that they believe it is proper, it is okay, even for Christians, to shack up with a young man for a year just to see if everything is okay to see if they are compatible and if at the end of a year we don't look good dump him and get another one and go for another year now these are teenage girls where did they get that philosophy from what are their parents telling them? What are their parents teaching them? I was going to show a film tonight. Because as you know, I wasn't feeling too good this past week. I felt like a drunk man most of the time. It's not because I had too much wine. I didn't have any wine. <laughs> but because when I stood up for a while, I felt like I was on the Bohingi with winds up to 20 miles an hour. I just felt like I was... That way. So I figured maybe I wouldn't be able to stand up here this morning. So I was going to show a film because I didn't want to give anybody a heart attack by calling them up Friday and saying, I want you to preach. And I had a film. The film is called Whatever the Cost. It's a story about a young man and a young girl in a relationship. I wouldn't say about trying to, trying to deal with... Um, 
what abortion is all about. They want a debating team. But in the story, entwined with this was a relationship with this young man, 17 and young girls, 17 or 18. And this young girl would not even allow the young man to hold her hand. She would not date him. She would not allow him to drive her by herself in a car to a home or to do, when they were doing nothing like that. So the young fellow says, why? And the young girl says, because I'm a Christian. And he says, when I give my heart to anyone, I want to be sure that I have confidence in that person. So that person will not walk on my heart. And says, she says, I've been looking at you. I've been watching. And he says, I will not allow you to date me unless you first ask my daddy. I say, now, if I come and show off from here, these young people that care about think I'm crazy. Because that kind of thinking is so foreign to today's young person. Do you know something? I think the principles were right. I think they were proper. Why do you think that our young people think such ideas are Victorian way back, out of the way? What is it? Off the chain. Why, why do you think they think that way? Because somewhere along the line, the parents are not doing their job. Don't blame it on the young people. Don't blame it on the movies. Don't blame it on the media. It's the parents who are responsible for providing these kinds of morals in their lives. The foundations are being destroyed and it's beginning in the home and begins with the parents. We have to teach our children about dating and what it means, about sexual relations, and all of these things. We have to teach our young people these things. Don't leave it to the pastor or to the Sunday school teacher or the young youth leader, although we have responsibilities. The primary has to do with the parents. And we're going to see that when we talk about parental relationships. Because I believe with all my heart today that one of the major reasons for the breakdown of home is parents. Not young people, but parents. You see, when this particular specification is met, about marrying believers, this eliminates frustrations concerning achieving the purpose and goal of marriage. What is it? The Bible says it's to become one flesh. The either is one complete person again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh again. And we're going to talk about this one flesh and to show that this one flesh relationship between a husband and a wife is more vital, complex than a relationship between parents and children. Goal of marriage is to become one. To demonstrate the unity of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. By the way, God is not a person. Right? Get it right now. God consists of three persons. One essence, three persons. So be careful when we say God is a person. But one unity, one essence. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, distinct, but yet one. That's a mystery. 
And as we'll see, that's exactly what the husband-wife relationship is. So here is it. If you marry an unsaved person, you could be joined together physically. You could be joined together soulishly. You could be compatible. You could like all the same things. But you cannot be joined together spiritually. Because the spirit of an unsaved person is dead in sins and transgressions. And no matter how you try it, you'll never have a complete oneness and unity in that home. That's why it's so difficult. Now, does God enable a wife, a husband, who now has an unsaved person as a, as a mate to live, to glorify him? You bet your life he does. You bet your life he does. And you can glorify him in that relationship. And we're going to be talking about that as well. How does the wife live with an unsafe husband? But the bottom line is this. That oneness, that unity can never be achieved. Never. There's always going to be something you desire more than you have. You see what I... It also eliminates the frustration of achieving the divine picture of marriage. Marriage is a relationship between Christ and his church. Listen to what it says, Ephesians 5. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Marriage relationship between a husband and his wife is a picture of that mysterious relationship of Christ and the church. An unsaved mate cannot symbolize Christ or the church. You know what I'm saying? An unsaved mate cannot symbolize the head of the family, which is Christ, or the church, which is supposed to be in submission. It's impossible. And so the purpose of marriage cannot be achieved. Now, God in his grace many times would allow a person to marry an unsaved person. He never leads them to. Now, I want you to understand that I'll never believe that God leads a saved person to marry an unsaved person. However, he does work in the life some, sometime when one of that maid becomes a Christian. And I know of those situations. He said, I know of those situations. But don't let us look at that aspect of it. Let us begin where God begins. No unequal yoke. Now, why is this important? Well, because normally if you marry an unsaved mate, that doesn't happen always this way, but most of the time it does. An unsaved mate leads you away from a close and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't always happen that way, but the Old and New Testament teaches the same thing that normally when you got something clean and unclean mixing, it isn't the clean that affects the unclean, it's the unclean that affects the clean. Listen, I read this passage and then we close for the day. Because the aim and objective of marriage also includes spiritual material, Christ-likeness of both partners. That's the aim of a Christian marriage. Christ-likeness of both partners. But if you have an unequal yoke, could happen what happened to Solomon. Notice, now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. He really had a 
the United Nations. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel. Here now, see, he's trying to point out, he had all of these against the word of God. You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. For they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He disobeyed God, in other words. He had 700 wives. I just don't know if we could make that one, but anyway. <clears throat> well, if they all were like my wife, he, might, he would probably do well. But anyway. <laughs> he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Now notice this. And his wives. Notice it didn't say concubines. His wives turned his heart away. From who? From God. And so my warning and my advice to young people and singles, those who are not married, watch out who you date. And don't date until you know who that person is. You say, boy, that could never happen. Not today. Well, for this purpose, I can say, I ain't that old, you know. When I was young, before I became a Christian, I had fun with the girls. I had a lot of fun with the girls. But when I became a Christian, one of the things the Lord convicted me of, I shouldn't be running around with girls, Christian girls. And so I determined that the girl, that I, the first girl that I, I date as a Christian would be my wife. And I looked around, spying all around the place. <laughs> and then God brought into my vision, not because of her beauty, and she was beautiful. There was no one in the world as beautiful as this woman. She is. So I said, okay, Lord. And I, I remember I could still see myself going. Because I wanted, I wanted to go out. You know what I'm saying? I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to ask her. You know, she said to me, I think this is right. And she gave me. said, well, okay. But only if I bring somebody along with me. <laughs> now, I wonder what kind of, how the Lord was answering my prayer. You know, here I am. Yeah, but she must be not too much faith in me. Trust me. Only if I bring somebody else along with me. And that's how it happened. Young people, listen. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. You could stand out. You don't have to be a conformer. You could be a transformer among your peers with the help of God. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Use it, we pray, to affect your purpose for sending it forth today. And may we as parents, may we as young, as young people as well, seek to build our homes in keeping with the specifications as laid down by the triune God. And all of God's people said, Amen.